there! Welcome to The Manuscript. I'm Juliana Meyer. And I'm Breno Barreto. And in this podcast, we delve into the intersection of writing and the development of technology products. Every couple of weeks, we talk to people making a difference in technical writing, art and design, UX writing, content strategy, and anywhere else there's someone thinking about content in digital products and the tech industry. If you want to keep up with our latest news and insights, pitch in on themes for us to talk about, and also get some behind the scenes, follow us on Twitter. The link is in our show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to The Manuscript wherever you get your podcasts, so you'll know whenever we publish a fresh new episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. This episode calls for a quick recap since it's part two of an interview we featured on our previous episode. We have split our interview with Bruno Amui into two episodes to improve your podcasting experience so you can squeeze some shorter episodes into your routine while not missing out on the full conversation. So Bruno is a tech writing lead at Vitex. Breno, Bruno, and I used to work together on the same tech writing team And we really wanted to make an episode about the technical aspects that a documentation team faces. On part one, we talked about the decisions around platforms and tools that tech writers use to create and host documentation. And today, we'll cover two main topics. The first one, we like to call how Bruno performs his tech sorcery which is basically his analytical approach to solving any problem or bug which will interest you even if you don't work with documentation. And secondly, we'll talk about hiring and training tech writers for roles that demand more technical backgrounds. Listen to part one and two to get the full experience. So Bruno, I think there's an aspect of the way you approach your challenges and we talked a little about it in the beginning of our conversation, but I think it's important for us to go a little deeper into it because it's a really key aspect I think of the of the tech writing job which is the the problem solving approach and, and the way we look at it at a challenge and really try to learn about the problem and investigate ways of, of solving it and i think you're maybe one of the strongest professionals that i've seen in this aspect so you're constantly of course facing technical challenges and you you seem to always manage to solve them no matter how difficult they are so Can you give us an example of a recent, sorry for the, the extra pressure that I'm putting on you. <laughs> Can you give us a, a quick example of a tricky obstacle that uh, you faced recently? We trust you. Yeah. <laughs> and what I like to investigate is, is the way you approach the challenges and, and how you analyze them, how you, you go about investigating what they are and the ways you could solve them. Okay. Recently, one of the things that we had to do that was really hard was that We wanted to be able to send links to our users uh, to documentation in specific languages. So the way that we did things before was that we had a single URL for every document, and then people would enter the page and use the local switcher, which was like a button on the top of the page, to switch the language of the document. And then it would be stored locally in their computer. And the next time they access that page, the browser would remember the language and show it in the same language. 
The thing is that it was hard for us to give better support to our clients that were not English speakers, which was our main language in the, to, at that time. So it was a feedback that we received from the customer experience team that it was hindering their work and they felt that it could be better and we agreed with them. And it was really hard because right now the way the art help center is made is using the same technology as the one that is used to building stores, for building stores in our, in our platform. Quick context here. Vitex, where Bruno and I work, is an e-commerce platform. So we're experts on building online stores. And we've actually leveraged that technology into building one of our documentation platforms. You can learn more details about this in the previous episode. Back to Bruno now. So this was not a feature that was already implemented for that and had to come up with a solution for it to work. The first thing that I wanted to know is why is it that way? Because it was not optimal. I think analyzing and knowing the people that developed the portal, it was a portal that was developed before I arrived at Bitex. I knew that if it was something that was easy to do, they would already have done. So I started investigating why was it not done? So what were the roadblocks keeping us from having that feature? And then I discovered that the easiest way to do it was to use a feature that was still being developed by another team. So another team was building a feature that was specific for the internationalization of stores. And they had been for quite some time. And the people that were developing our platform were waiting for that feature to be developed so we could integrate the help center. Then I had to go to and talk with the people developing that feature and discover they and try to understand if they were going to finish in a quick time frame or what was their roadmap for the development of that feature. And then I discovered that it was not going to be done in the time that I wanted it to be done. So we would have to make something work without using that feature. We would have to implement it in the hard way. So the next step was to try different solutions. So we went to some quick hacks to try to make it work, reading the URL from directly from the, 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 the client's browser. We tried some different things, but in the end, we decided that we would have to scrape all the language handling features from the store part of our help center, like the part that was uh, like a legacy that came from the fact that we used a store building framework to make our help center. And we scrapped all that and we just started from scratch and developed a new language handling solution. And that was the way that we've done it. So right now it works. We still have some, there are some paths. If you set some documentation and go to a different language and then go back and then change your document and then go back and like, there are some specific paths that might break the way it works. So it's not a perfect solution for that. But right now we have already finished VTEC solution for internationalization of stores. And the next step will be to integrate a solution to our help center and make it work better. 
This was a great example because you showed how a documentation team can work closely with the product teams, developers, and collaborate on shared features and also show our tech side that we're not just writers. We can get our hands dirty in code as well and come up with our own solutions that might be useful for the rest of the product team. So that was a, a great example. But I'm still curious talking about abstracting this real case that we lived in our day-to-day, what would you say are the skills needed or the steps, the macro steps taken in investigating and solving a problem? The way that I like to approach those problems in general, it's really through abstraction. Like As I said before, I really think that having a general knowledge of the tech industry and of the tech landscape is really good because one of the things I find most useful when I'm approaching a problem like that is to try to first break the problem in the smallest steps possible or the smallest features possible and then make comparisons of those steps or features or components to other things that I already know. So if I'm thinking about a new portal, then I will think like in a solution to, so people can create their documents and then a solution so people can store their documents and a solution so people can find their, their documents and they can be shown in other places. When I break the problem in those steps and in, in those components, then I can try to find analog in the industry. So. How do other people or other solutions and other products create their documents? So how does Google Docs do it? How does WordPress do it? How does other document creation platforms do it? Um, Can we use that solution, that part of their solutions? Is it modular enough that we can incorporate that solution in our solution? So being capable of making those analogies and trying to find the other things that are closely related to what you are trying to solve is really important. And it's easier when you can break the problem in smaller parts because like if you're trying to make like developer portal that will also have videos and we will have rest apis and but also graphql apis and all sorts of different stuff when you think about that problem as a whole then you probably not find any analogs or anything that you can compare and find it to be exactly the same as what you're trying to make but if you break it into smaller parts then you will be able to at least find help from other people that have trying to solve those smaller problems. So being capable of abstracting the problem to its smallest components, I think is one of the most important things. And then also having the exercise and experience of trying to explain the things that you know and the things that you're trying to solve to other people. And I think it's most useful when it's not people that already know the field. So one of the things that people asked me to do it was prepare a talk about how would you explain the Vitex product to your grandma? <laughs> that was the pitch that people approached me. So being able to explain things by using diff- lots of different analogies, I think it's another tool that I use so I can understand better the problems. Cool, that's a, an interesting approach, I think.
So I'd like to talk a little bit more about the leading aspect of your job, which is also, as you said, very important for you. You're in a very particular position, I think, in Brazil because you're a tech writing manager and we don't have many companies which currently have managers. Usually companies in Brazil have a tech writer who's responsible for the whole product. And you, on the other hand, is responsible for guiding five tech writers and you came to Vitex uh, already as a manager or you became a manager very quickly, right? So how do you approach this aspect of your job? What role do you play as the leader of these five tech writers? What's the dynamic of your job? This, as you said, it's, it's a really important part of my job. I think the most important thing that I do is to unblock my tech writers. So if if they have any kind of difficulties or if they need to learn something better about the, the platform or if they want some uh, guidance on how to uh, talk with the developer about something or how do they uh, approach a team about something that they need to know, th that's the, the kind of guidance that I, that I provide to them. So also, how do they prioritize their tasks? So we're still in a point right now at, at our team where we have much more demand for the work of our tech writers than we we have time to work. Translating that, so basically our backlog is ginormous and we have to pick our battles. Yes, that's it. We have like a huge backlog. We have to constantly be doing some backlog grooming and admitting to ourselves that some things will not be done in a reasonable time scale and we'll have to focus on what will give us the best impact. So there are two, two different aspects that I manage right now at Vitex. And mostly what I have them do is to prioritize and to think in a broader scale about the documentation. So Usually, as we have lots of processes really organized inside our teams, it's really easy for a tech writer to think just about the request that is uh, in front of him, like about something that has to be changed in a document or a new document that has to be created. But those requests, they usually do not tackle the whole corpus of documentation or the, the, the whole portal and where will that documentation be or how will our users find that documentation. So that kind of guidance is something that I give to the tech writers, but also I help to mentor a group of engineers and designers that we have in, in a partnership with a university here in Brazil. So we have these interns that help us developing some of the features for our portals. So part of my time is directed to mentoring and guiding them on those tasks. Managing is not something that I plan to do. I have to, to admit that when I was being interviewed for working at Vitex, the person that was interviewing me asked, what is something that you don't think you're strong at? And I answered that was leadership. I, I did not have lots of experience uh, no leading, way. <laughs> leading big teams. I had worked uh, mostly as a lone wolf for lot, lots of projects. Another quick context here. Bruno really can build anything, from satellites to robots to documentation platforms. We covered all this in our previous episode. 
Okay, no more interruptions now. Promise back to Bruno. The thing that I found out is that I really like working in a team. It's really hard to make a, a big impact if you're working by yourself. So making huge changes that really make your product better is really hard to do it by yourself. And if you have a team that's well-guided and have a well-formed vision, it's really easier to, for you to achieve that. So that justified me in my pursuit of being a better manager in some way. So... Uh, oh, I feel glad. <laughs> right now I'm trying to handle better things like how do I make our tech writers see the career that they have in front of them and how do I they make it like a, a good vision, something that they want to follow and how do we make our processes in a way that we can be accountable for the things that people demand from us but also do not make our tech writers feel burdened by all those processes and bureaucracies. And also trying to have the time to start the discussions and make the, the arrangements so our content strategy for the developer portal is always evolving. It's a struggle, but I'm enjoying it. I can't believe that you said you're not good at leadership. Let me just say that. I'm not directly reporting to you, but even though I'm not directly reporting to you, you transmit your leadership to me and to everyone else on our team. And you serve uh, as a guide and a mentor and a friend when needed. So just don't, don't, don't. You're a great leader. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I totally endorse that opinion, although I'm not even in the same company anymore. <laughs> cool. So last question before we jump to the last session of our episode. So we said in the show before that we don't have many tech comm degrees in Brazil. So tech writers usually land on the profession from other backgrounds and have to learn the needed hard skills on the go. So when we're hiring people with a deeper tech background to be on our team, what do you usually take into account? That's a really hard question. Like hiring people is something that I'm still learning how to do. People, usually they surprise me. It's hard to have expectations of people, especially when all the information you have is what you gather through interviews. But like, I really think that being curious and wanting to understand better the, the product is the main thing. Uh, we do have uh, lots of uh, products that are really technical and that would benefit from a technical background. But what I find is that if you have a really good technical background, but you're not motivated to documentation, if you do not see that the documentation that we are creating really helps our clients and really unlocks the potential of our product, then it's really hard for that tech writer to give us good results. Usually highly motivated people with not so technical backgrounds will deliver better documentation than highly technical people uh, that are not so motivated. So what I try to understand when I'm making an interview is are those people just trying to find any job 
and this is the one that they have found? Or do they really want to be tech writers? I know it's a, it's a new position here in Brazil. It's something that not a lot of people have heard about. And we have some tech writers that have discovered that they like being tech writers after they ha they've been hired. Me included. <laughs> But when we are trying to hire someone, especially if, if you want someone to, to substitute someone that is leaving or if you want some, someone to document a specific uh, product, then it's easier if we find someone that's already like in a more senior position that has a more experience in the tech industry. And for those people, it's, it's hard for me to understand if they really want to be tech writers, if they're really motivated to work with that, or if they just work, want to work at Fitex, which is a great place to work, or if they just want any job because it's hard to find jobs nowadays. <laughs> So the struggle I, is real. I think that's the, mostly what I take into account. We're reaching the end of this amazing conversation, Bruno, but before we wrap it up, there's something that we usually ask our interviewees, which is how they see the future of the area. And I don't know how easy it is to to talk about the future of tech writing. It's a bit of a broad uh, question, but at least how do you see the future for you as a tech writer, for the company, for the area inside the company? For, is, is there anything that you can kind of anticipate for, for the next months for tech writing? I'm not so certain about like the next months, what will be the, the big changes, but what I hope like in a more bigger timescale is for uh, the work to become more structured. Not that for it to be locked or fixed, but I, I really think that it will be easier for new people to enter this profession and to enter this area if we have more textbooks on tech writing or more blogs on tech writing, more podcasts on tech writing, more data for people to know about this profession but also for people to know how to work on this profession. Because I really think that people have to reinvent the wheel every time they start a tech writing area in a new company. And that makes the process much more convoluted and, and much slower than it uh, should be. So as we consolidate our practices and uh, the things that we do and how we do stuff, I think it will be easier for companies to create a tech writing area inside the companies because it will be more structured and they will know the steps for doing that. It will be easier for people to decide to become tech writers because they will be able to imagine what the life of a tech writer is. I really hope that we walk towards a, a more structured way of working. Again, not so we don't have the fun of living in a, working in a, in a creative environment, but just so more people can understand what we do and can be a, a more diverse and more frequent work in, here in Brazil. Cool. So we have another block on our show, which is book recommendations. We are a big fans of writing and reading here. So Bruno, tell us. What book is currently on your nightstand? I know you're a huge fan of comic books. Not sure if that's <laughs> the case. And also, what book would you recommend for people who want to know more about our field? 
That's a good question. I personally like reading fantasy books and do not read lots of technical books. Uh, what I usually do is that in the end of each year, I, I like to go to awards that I like. So I like the Hugo Award and the Nebula Award. Those are awards given to sci science fiction and fantasy books. The one that I'm reading right now is called The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemising. Jemising, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's a fantasy book, a classic fantasy book about different world with different ways for things to work. Uh, I will not enter it really deeply on, on it right now. But I find that reading fantasy and especially science fiction books helps me with my abstraction capabilities. Like it's usual for science fiction books for people to make analogies to our, our world and how things work right now and try to make projections of how things would work if some specific things were to be different. And those thinking exercises are things that I really enjoy. And in a, in a more technical way, I, what I usually do is I go to the communities that I enjoy. So there's a blog that I really like, which is called Hackaday. And most of the posts are related to people building stuff or uh, hacking stuff, like physical stuff, so they can work in different ways. And that gives me a really broad vision of the, the tech field or how lots of different products work and lots of different areas work. Uh, by reading that blog, I decided that I wanted to learn uh, sewing. So now I, I bought a sewing machine and I'm trying to sew some clothes for me. You really do everything. <laughs> I, I'm trying. <laughs> So I think for technical uh, information, what I mostly do is to read posts on communities that I enjoy. All right. So we end this episode, which was really enriching. I believe this is the most tech-heavy episode that we've uh, done on the show, which is awesome. We've been wanting to cover those topics for a while, and we couldn't think of anyone better than yourself to introduce them, because really... As we joke, you have the most diverse career. You can fix anything, create anything, make anything. So it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Same for me. It was, I have to say it was amazing to work with you. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. We always discover new stuff. That's uh, one of the, the good parts of being a tech writer is being able to learn a lot, right? And, and you're always a very good teacher. So thanks a lot for, for joining us today. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed being here. I miss talking, uh, especially with you, Breno, that I don't have the opportunity to talk every day right now. But also with you, because we do not have calls every day, and I miss that. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> we used to be BFFs when the world didn't face a pandemic and we all worked under the same roof. <laughs> True. That was it for our interview with Bruno. We've shared some insights and takeaways from the episode on our Twitter account, which is at the manuscript, where script is in between underscores. It's a really confusing handle, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. Anyways, the link is in our show notes. And one of my favorite things about this community that we're building here is this book list with our guests' recommendations. So we've actually assembled them into a Goodreads bookshelf. 
from Harry Potter to how to make sense of any mess, our book list will definitely inspire you. You can find the link for that and all links mentioned on this episode on our show notes. And this episode was edited by Pupila, Junior Enterprise from UNB. If you like good stories, you'll like Pupila. Thanks to Clara Almeida and Ana do Carmo, members of Pupila, aka the heroes behind the curtains here, who edited what you just heard. On a final note, it's great that you're still here! It means that you share our passion about technology and writing. And since that's very specific, let's be honest here, it would be great if you could spread the word about our show. Share it with friends and colleagues who might also be interested in the topics we cover. It really does help. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>